This podcast is brought to you with support from The Big Idea, New Zealand's online hub for creative people. The Big Idea aims to support talented, innovative individuals and organisations and advocates for creativity as an essential ingredient in the cultural and economic wealth of New Zealand. Their website is thebigidea.nz. Well, um, welcome along to um, Don't Give Up Your Day Job episode. God, no, what is this? 300? <laughs> you just threw yourself under the bus. Three, four hundred? Three, yeah, I think it's 480. Well, episode 480. Yeah. If you've missed all of the other ones up to this point, then you're clearly not um, keeping tabs of what's going on. Oh, so, wow. You're in a bitey mood so today. Get back um, onto the old interwebs and look them up. Catch up. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've been away in, in the United States of America. Yes, I got Did back. you get stopped at the border? I did. <laughs> I mean, everyone gets stopped, but did you get, did they do the frisking and the rubber No, I, I actually had a surprisingly good experience because like going into LAX is famously horrendous. Yeah. And there've been times in the past where I've been standing in a queue for three hours. Right. Um, this time I went, I went in uh, through customs and I was out in the street within an, inside an hour of the plane landing. Wow. They've got some new system, which is like some automated thing where you just go through and... Face recognition, so it didn't recognise you as Latino No, or, no, thank God I'm not, I'm not Iranian. Yeah, right. yeah, But, um, yeah, I mean, it was also just a quiet day, I guess, but it was amazing. I was standing outside like, how did that happen? Right. <laughs> I was like building it up in my mind, you know, for this horrible experience, which it usually is. Yeah, and you, you know? had your guitar and everything with you, and what did they say about... No, I didn't take a guitar to the States, but I did take oh. it, bring a guitar... Back from oh, that's States. right. You got yeah. you got a, a sponsorship over there got with an the endorsement. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, well, um, it's been on the cards for a few months now. Been yeah. some conversations about it, um, and then it happened. And so basically, I rented a car and drove up to San Francisco. The the guy uh, who owns the company lives in San Jose, which is maybe about an hour south of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And so I drove up there and and hung out with him and went out for lunch and stuff and gave me this new guitar and. Is sort of reinforcing the relationship we already had because I had a pedal endorsement with him for the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. So I've right. got a number of his pedals and stuff, which I adore. Yeah. Um, and those are uh, rock box pedals. Yeah. Um, but his name's Chris Campbell, and he's got a whole line of boutique guitars that he builds himself. Um, he wires the pickups, and it, they're like beautifully crafted guitars. Yeah. And he gave me a few to choose, and I chose this. Um, it's a telly shape with a. I think it's called Sherwood Green kind of color it's a weird color that i really like because it looks different in every light it's like sometimes it looks uh-huh. blue and you know okay uh and yeah it's just this really kind of retro kind of 50s vibe thing with a pearly pick guard on it and oh, nice. chrome hardware and stuff but it just sounds great feels good to play and awesome. so um drove back down to la with my new guitar in the back fantastic it's pretty cool are you a gear person i mean is that something that you've always been into in terms of your uh, I'm a gear person that doesn't have much technical knowledge, so right, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I'm also a context person, if that makes sense. So I'm excited about stuff if I'm applying it to something. Yeah. But if you start talking about a piece of kit that's of no relevance to me, I'll sort of glaze over a bit. Well, that happened <laughs> yeah. to me the other night. Right. Did it? I um I was invited along to the Neumann presentation. Neumann's the microphone company, right? Yeah. Famous for um, their German engineering of these. Amazing high high end microphones. In fact, I'm talking to you through one right now. Right, and um, they are 90 years old in November. Yeah, and um, so they're doing a bit of a world tour. I think I feel a little bit like it was um, a hey guys, you know, we know we're ex- our mics are expensive, but they're worth it. It's sort of like a PR <laughs> tour type thing. But they also do thing. 
Yeah, and yeah. It, and it was sort of it was a game of two halves. They had the microphones, and then they had the discussions about their monitor speakers, which I think they've been on the market for ten years. Right, in different sets of monitor speakers. Never seen them. Right, no, nor, nor had I until no. then. So the microphone discussion was really interesting. You know, he went through the whole history of, you know, when they started, why they were built the way they, you know, they were built out of steel then because of coming into World War Two. Right, of there course. Was, you yeah. know, um, a lack of resources and. Because um, metal some, was a big asset back then, wasn't it? Used yeah, for weapons and yeah, and some of them were tube microphones then, mm. and they, you know, went through the whole thing. But then we had a bit of a break. We had something to eat, um, some cold nibbles. <laughs> uh, that's one Emphasis complaint. on the word cold It was freezing cold They were I don't know They'd left in there too long Or something <laughs> And then we went back Into the room again For the presentation On the monitors Now When you say about The t- the technical thing In context Yeah I've I'd have to say I've never Ever been so bored In my life <laughs> I, I can't think of a time Where I actually felt Physical pain Listening to someone Talk about stuff That's clearly Way over my head Right You know um, Some of the Phrases that I picked up on that piqued my interest because I understood the words that were coming out of his mouth. Yeah, um, you know, um, phase distortion, um, you know, frequency bands, and all this kind of crap. Yeah, but then, then came all the graphs and the 3D graphs and the reasons <laughs> why on this certain, and I just completely got lost. So did you sign up for the wrong thing? Like, is this was this designed for sound engineers or something? And I definitely was you designed for sound engineers. Room? Yeah, and and I couldn't walk out because. The doors on the other side of where I was from the guy, oh, yeah. you know, I would have had to walk in front of him, and right, um, and that would have been embarrassing. You couldn't pretend you got a phone call. <laughs> I could have. She's done what? That, I guess. I'll be right there. <laughs> Actually, the phone did ring at one point. Not my phone. Someone else's phone rang, rang in the presentation, and the guy literally stopped and stared at the guy, and like <laughs> stared sh- him down. Yeah, <laughs> and he said, "No, no, I'll wait until you take your call." Something long ago. <laughs> anyway, um, wow. Something like that, but anyway, so when it, when it got to the point where we could make a break for it, yeah, when they were going to to demonstrate the the monitors, I I found I took a hasty made a hasty exit, right, thinking that there will be an exodus of people behind me following me out the door. I was the only one who left. <laughs> um, what does that say about you? It says I, it says I was way out of my depth and yeah. didn't care about the subject matter. Yeah, so no, I'm not a tech person at all. No. Really. No, I didn't I understand it. But I don't think I'm any kind of specific anything. I don't think I've ever been like into any one thing. Right. So, yeah, yes, I care about my gear, absolutely. And I work very hard to have good gear and good tone and that sort of thing. Yeah. But I'm also trying to write good music and put on a good performance and manage the band and do, do all these other things. So I don't really have the, the headspace or the time to ever dig deep into one subject. Aren't some of those things really subjective though? Like tone, what, what is a good tone? Or of course a, it's subjective, yeah. yeah. And hotly argued about all the time. Right, right. <laughs> Which right. Are arguments I never get into. Because we were just talking about your um, you, your album mixing before. Yeah. About how you get used to what you're hearing, you know. Mm. So at some point you might have a certain type of tone that you like because you've just heard it over and over or you're used yeah. to it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, Do you mean when you're capturing the sounds? Yeah, or, or, and, or when, when you're mixing, mixing, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, that's right. I think it's important to understand the process of getting too used to demos and too used to rough mixes and things like that. The main objective I had was to capture good raw sounds. Yeah. Um, and I didn't work too hard on any kind of mixes or anything myself before I took it to Nick Portman, who mixed it. Um, and I understood, I think... To my credit, I understood the, that when you get to that stage, let it go. Right. You know, so I didn't try to micromanage the process. I, yeah. I, I left it with Nick. And at the last stage, I got involved again. And yeah. he said, what do you think about that? And 
the the adjustments we made were very minor Um, and he took some of them in very different directions you know there there was treatments he would do for example on guitars that I would never have thought of right. but that's why you hire someone like nick portman yeah so yeah. we should explain to people who are listening to this podcast that you the reason you were in the states mm. was to mix your album that you've just finished recording. that's right that's right yeah. how many tracks on it 12 12 track album wow right. whole long traditional exactly old school wow yeah i know that no one cares about albums but i do so that's why i'm doing it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh how many singles i mean what does that how many singles well anymore? 12 singles obviously right they're yeah. all they're all killers they're all absolute killers yeah okay. yeah they're all at the top of the charts already it's not even released yet mm, wow but yeah, watching watching someone like Nick work and and uh, it's not part of the plan. But a little shout out for Nick Portman if you want something mixed, definitely talk to him. Yeah. Um. His his knowledge when you're talking about tech knowledge, his knowledge is so far beyond what I could even begin to understand. Yeah. As any good engineer should be, you know. Yes. Um. But that's why you hire someone like that. And that's why I was out of my depth. Right. In that room the other night. I mean, the conversations that he was trying to have with me about the relationships between, you know, different reverbs and, and EQs yeah. and things like that. When you say, I think I think that guitar part might be a little bit too loud and he deals with it by going and treating something else. So that he changes right. he changes the relationship of the context of some, okay. you know. Okay, right, okay. And, and you know, he starts to explain some of it to you and you're like, Cool man <laughs> I'll get <laughs> I'm, another coffee. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you know what you're talking yeah, exactly. about sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah. I mean that's the whole thing. So I think it's important as an artist to hire good musicians and know when to let go of things. I mean, it's the same thing for yeah. when you're tracking with musicians, don't try and control every last thing they're playing. Yeah. It's just my opinion. But, you know, put a good groove in place saying. and put a good structure in place and yeah. then let them let them bring their own strengths in. You know? Are you someone who suffers from demoitis? Uh, well, I do, but I also know that it's a thing, so then I don't. That's, right. what, I, that's okay. what I meant. Yeah. You know? So I, I think because I know, I have been in the past, so mm. I, I'm so aware of that problem that now I sort of coach myself to yeah. not fixate on what I thought it should sound like. So I've had uh, the, those experiences where some, you know, you get to the end of the recording of the album mm. and you get a bounce off the desk, a rough mix, a monitor mix, and then you get to the mixing process, then you listen to them and they're so different that sometimes I've just freaked out by it going, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, This is so bad because you're used to the, the monitor mix. You're like, yeah. where was that tambourine that was really right there in my left exactly. ear quite loud? And, well, it's, um, it's, um, it's difficult as an artist to know when you're, when you're defending your creative concept and when you're fixating on some earlier you know, version of the thing that you've gotten used to. Yeah. I think that's yeah. sometimes v- very grey, that whole process. Yeah. And that's, um, there's a term, what's that term? Um, I, I learned it very early on, you know, when you're doing freelance kind of um, production music work or you're working on something else, you've got to learn to be able to kill your babies. Right. You know, like just <laughs> it, don't get too attached to something and just get rid of it if it doesn't fit in, in the overall mm. scope or if you've, if something, a piece of music evolved to the point where it's actually moved beyond the yeah. original thing and that now doesn't fit in that context anymore, get rid of it, cut yeah. it out, you know. Um, I think it's also, it's important to have a, a, a an idea uh, creatively that's strong enough that it can be pulled apart by whoever and right. st- it will still go back together properly. Right. I think that's a, a very strange way of arguing about good songwriting, you mm. know. I mean... Mm. Think of a great, great song. I always, when I think of that, I always think of "Ain't No Sunshine" for some reason because I think it's right. one of the perfectly constructed songs in the world. It was two um, chords, three chords, uh, something max. like yeah, yeah. Few, maybe three or four or something. Yeah, um, and just with such a memorable melody and great lyrics. It's just a perfect little song, you know. Yeah. And the thing about that song is that it it could be played by 
anyone of any level or any music musical capability. It could mm. be played by a punk band. It could be played by a jazz band. It, and it will still work. Yeah. Because the song's good. Yeah. And I think often you end up getting, you know, turned inside out by the recording process, desperately trying to make it good when it's actually just not a good song. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? If a song relies so heavily on finely tuned production to make it work then yeah. i don't think that's a good song yeah, yeah no that's a really good point yeah one of um our, our country's best songwriters over the years has been a man that you spoke to while you were in la greg johnson greg johnson yeah one yeah. of the one of the new zealand greats i went out to his studio in santa monica and uh we sat down and had this really fun chat um talked about all sorts of different things and got to the end of the recording and he turned around and realized he hadn't pressed record Oh no shit! Oh no! <laughs> so, and uh, but both of us swear he did press record. Yeah. We, were, we were both looking at it. He pressed record and he turned around and we started talking, but it wasn't so recording. Started again. Nothing. So, and oh, in, so we've got an hour and a half of silence. Yeah, it's cool. a, it's an art piece. All right, well, art and start, let's start now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was funny. Like to his, he, we were both out of time. But to his credit, he he um was very apologetic and right. and then in a couple of days later he drove up to the valley closer to where I was staying to one of my friend's studios and, and met us there and we had the conversation again. Yeah. And I mean we didn't just repeat the conversation but right. um, and in fact I think we had a much better conversation funnily enough. Right. You I don't, I don't quite some know sort of affinity together then at that point. Yeah, exactly. Just then uh, maybe we we're both more relaxed that day or something. I don't know. The conversation was better anyway. So um the universe I think threw us a bone. All right, well, let's have a listen. I haven't heard any of it, so I'm really intrigued to yeah. see what, what's going on. Well, this is Greg Johnson, part two. Now let's do this! Don't give up your day job. So, uh, episode attempt, part two. Yeah, episode two. <laughs> we had a, a lovely chat in your um, studio in Santa Monica, um, and it didn't quite work out. It didn't because the engineer, who's really a bloody idiot, I should, I should fire, forgot to push record. Right, right. And uh, that engineer, of course, is yours truly. <laughs> <laughs> and we, oh, well. there were some super profound things said too. I think we really sorted a lot of things out in the world. I think we did. And yeah. it's one of those... It's one of those things like when you're you you know when you're a kid and you'd smoke a joint and you'd think, we've solved the problems of the world. And then an hour later you'd forget what they were. Wait till the everyone solution. hears. Yeah. <laughs> what was it we... Oh, what happened? But, uh, yeah, it was a good chat. It was nice to, uh, nice to catch up and uh, yeah. hear about what's going on. And well, it's a rehearsal, I guess. It was, yeah. I think I talked a pretty, a pretty hard line yep. on, the, on the music business. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll take a softer approach this time. Well, no, I think we should go harder. Harder, yeah, even harder. harder. Yeah, be more brutal. Shall I name even more names than that last one? I think one? so. Yeah, I think probably so. just as well that one was actually erased because there would be a, probably a <laughs> series of litigations heading my way. But aren't but, you at that point in your career where you don't have to give a fuck anymore? I really don't. And yeah. uh, and anyone who wants to litigate against me has to know that there's going to be no money. <laughs> <laughs> so what's it's, the point? It's the music business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's yeah. No reason to. We had a good conversation about um, weed. As well, we did, which, which I which I I learnt was the, one of the main reasons you came to California. <laughs> <laughs> it was the only reason, really. Actually, it's a, no, uh, I have to say, I've, uh, as a lifelong smoker of of the the finest herb yes. that grows on the planet, um, <laughs> I I find it very civilized in California. You know, mm. sneaking around in New Zealand trying to grow your own or buying some bag of horrible, harsh, st- stuff. horrible stuff yeah. that. All trying to get high is just ridiculous, and it's the 21st century. Yep. Uh, New Zealand's supposed to be a liberal country. What the fuck's wrong with us? I know. 
It's such a drain I, on society. I just I don't get it. And I, I do remember we talked about this, and I, I, have, I will re- repeat this because I think it's true. I think there's a degree of racism in New Zealand against right. weed. And by that, I mean there's this pat, patronising kind of attitude that, oh, it'll destroy a Maori or it'll be very bad for, for, for Maori kids. It's like, it'll be bad for all kids if they're smoking at 14. Let's yeah. be realistic. Yeah. Um, but there's a slight patronising attitude, I think. In, and I could be wrong there. I hope I'm wrong. But I have a, I've always had a distinct feeling that that was part of, part of the reason was, oh, you can't, you know, you shouldn't, you know, don't let the natives drink or smoke. And it, right. it sounds appallingly ancient to say that, but I think there's a remnant of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that, yeah, I mean, that... That's awful, but it's also a double standard um, aside from that subject because there's so much that we that that is considered normal in society that we have no issue with. Yes. I mean, I think fast food has got a lot to answer for, way more well, than, than weed, you know? Yeah, that's right. So. Um, it just needs to be um, taken out of the shadows down there like, yeah. like it has here. And then, and then uh, you know, they're doing these big campaigns here now with kids, uh, school kids talking about why they ain't, why they're not going to smoke the herb all day right. long, you know, and that's yeah. good. Um, I, I just think personally, um, you know, if if you can go and drink arsenic or make daytura tea or drink alcohol mm. or sniff sh- glue or something, yeah, I mean, I mean it's geez. just it's the most absurd uh, hangover from some weird ass that pseudo Protestant right? background we came from. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I was I think. I mean, as far as I understand, it was more of a business move. You know, the, it was right. it was them trying to block the hemp industry. Wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah, yeah there's always money. Such an amazing product, hemp. You know, and it, it was a good way to get rid of it. Well, that's right. <laughs> get rid of the competition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and well, yeah. the nice thing about the herb is, like, just you know, at the very least, just let people grow a bit. And if you can grow, if you're smart enough to grow a little bit of herb that looks good, yeah, um, smoke it by all means. You know. Well, that's um, the part of it that don't, I don't understand is penalising people for having a joint in their pocket. You know that's that's whole, it's a whole different thing to the whole industry of well, of where and the gangs and all that kind of stuff. You know? Yes, it is. So, well, immediately you you legalise it. Of course, it's out of the gangs. There's no the gangs exactly. have no more interest in it because yeah. they can't compete with the prices. Prices right. come down here incredibly since it became legal. Yeah, yeah. Like it's. Yeah. And this is since about what what, we, what did you say last time? Was it January? January. It so changed? we're talking yeah. nine months since it was. Yeah. You know, um, prior to that. Um, there was the medical thing, which is the usual kind of um, precursor to legalization. Right. And that was dispensaries. And I couldn't be, you know, I, I didn't really want to, um, to get a, a card, but my missus got one and she would always go for me and she's like, honey, I'm your drug dealer. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you, she kind of started me back on it too, because, you know, about when I first met her about nine or 10 years ago, oh, hang on, more than that. 12 years ago, whatever. Mm-hmm. And she was, I was actually off the herbs thinking, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, and pretty clean and everything really. And I think she immediately said, oh, let's go and get wasted. <laughs> yeah. And, you know. And how, how long had you been off it? Oh, probably only a couple of weeks. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Anyway, um, yeah, look, it's not all about the herb, obviously. No. And, and, and there's no doubt that you wouldn't want everyone wandering around in the state of stoneness that I do. Um <laughs> <laughs> Most jobs you wouldn't, um, you probably couldn't do. But luckily, uh, with music, it, I find it totally focuses me in, in a way that nothing else does. Right. Yeah. It, it focuses me in and puts me in a room totally with the music and nothing else. So, do know? you write 
under the effect, under the influence? I do everything, really, yeah, <laughs> let's face it. But, but yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's more like, what don't you do? It's, that would probably be a better question. Well, I usually, yeah. <laughs> I usually breakfast sober. <laughs> Not, Not by choice, though, <laughs> just because it hasn't kicked in yet. <laughs> uh, so I'm making myself sound like, a, like, a, like a, an adult drug fiend, which is probably exactly right. But, but again, like another double standard is, is we're all hopped up on coffee and... And you know, uh, prescription pills and all sorts of yeah. shit, right? Well, this is this is a, one of the big issues that that I can see, uh, which which will be potentially a real benefit to people who have genuine medical needs rather mm. than just a, a desire to step into the room. Yeah, um, and that is that you know I know for a fact all, all my wife's family are all in the south are in Tennessee. Yeah, and don't get me started, but um, their drug cabinets they the, the the pills that are sit on those counters in the morning that they take, some of them I can't keep track. There's like twenty different things that they're taking yeah. in the morning, and you think, how do you? At what point do you think that pill number one could affect be affecting pill number seventeen? And right. why the fuck don't you just try and just take nothing for a while? Yeah. And if you're a bit anxious, smoke a fucking joint on your porch. Exactly. Yeah. And put put down the Miller light and smoke a joint. Pills are terrifying to me just because we don't yeah. know what's in them. Yeah, no well, idea. No, that's right. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I know doctors uh, are great in lots of ways, but they don't know everything. They certainly don't. Yeah, no, they do not. It's uh, it's an interesting one that whole that whole attitude, but you know, uh, it requires forward thinking, and that's one of the reasons I love California yeah. and why I feel as much as I'm I'm you know I am a New Zealander. I can't not be a New Zealander, and I love being a New Zealander, yeah. and I love New Zealand. I to me, it's a treasured little escape, uh, and just a little Alice in Wonderland hole down there, you know, mm-hmm. that, that hopefully too many people don't find out about, but they already are, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, I really like the, the this state of California. It, it represents a lot of things that I admire in, in culture and and the free thinking. And, you know, even on the drive here, I was listening to NPR station, they were talking about some new legislation against doctors that, you know, were basically... Uh, on probation and should you be allowed, patients should be able to know all the stuff. Right. And at the end of it, um, you know, the interviewer was, is, uh, are you aware of any other states that are implementing this? He said, no, this is a California initiative, but many will follow once we do it. Yeah. So many things have come out of um, that kind of attitude, the green energy, the, all kinds of stuff that's, that's driving not just this country, but I think a lot of the time this country, the rest of this country is slower to pick up on that vibe than other countries are, New Zealand, Australia, Europe. And so on. Um, well, it makes sense, but obviously California is full of creative people. Innovation, yeah, yeah, and and creativity. It's it's it does. Um, it lives here in every facet. It's very interesting. absolutely. I mean, I feel the difference when I come here. You mm-hmm. know, I feel like I immediately click. Yeah, you're you a know? guitar player. Dude. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> everyone goes, oh, cool. Yeah, and everyone you meet's writing a movie or you know auditioning yeah. for something or yeah. You know, the film industry great. is is gigantic and um, and it. It, it doesn't. It doesn't just mean uh, actors and writers as well. It's all mm. those other people, you know, um, all the craft, which is you know, all the food people, all the um, tons of extras. Like you know, if if you come to LA, if anyone, any musicians that are listening or any whatever creative art you're in, you ever come to California, you can always get on a um, go and be an extra. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you'll get like uh, I've never done it myself, but my wife did it before she got into stunts. You know, right. she got in there. Yeah. That's how she's. That was her window in there. But um, 
yeah, you can go along and you sit and you, it's, you'll be treated like a sheep and you'll be herded around, but you do get free food and you get yep. about 120 bucks for a day of standing around <laughs> yeah. talking about how great your acting career is going to be once <laughs> once you're in front of the camera. I've done it once, actually. In, in you New, did it? In New Zealand, yeah. Oh, right. Um, what was the movie? It was... Um, one of those vampire werewolf movies. Um, oh, what was it called? Underworld, I think. <laughs> All right. Underworld three or something. And uh, yeah, it's a very long day. Yeah, it was yes. a good experience, but I, I couldn't hack it. Just standing there all day, and I think film we I think we right. shot two scenes, one at each end of the day as well. It just did, right. did my head in. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that that the film industry is, is real hard. I mean, yeah, it's not for the for the faint of heart musicians. That's for sure. You know, yeah, um, it's early, early, early starts. Like my wife was on a flight at. Her pickup was 4 a.m. You know, on a flight to Atlanta, four-hour yeah. flight. She gets off that plane, goes straight to rehearsals, and then, then back to the hotel, sleeps. Then four, six a.m. call into yeah. the stunts. Better be onto it because otherwise you could get yourself seriously hurt. Right. And um, and then she'd be on a plane back that next night. So that's <laughs> that's and then the next day she might have another thing. So they start. They have long days. Those days can be 14, 15, 16 hours. Yeah. I mean, we've all got friends in the film industry. We we can't remember them because we never see them. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it before, but I'm, uh, let's talk about your your wife's job again. I mean, it's a, just oh, to yeah. clarify, she is a stunt woman. She's a stunt woman. Yeah. yeah. Um, she was a cheerleader, and um, and the, we, as New Zealanders, we kind of probably think, oh, cheerleading, just waving a few a few things around. It's really kind of cheesy, but yeah, it is a bit cheesy. But in fact. Um, it's also acrobatics and gymnastics, Absolutely. and she's in the real states time. especially, right? Yeah, in it's states. very competitive. Yeah. She was competitive. They were the, the national champs from Tennessee, uh, whatever her high school was or college or something. I'm not sure which. Um, was she doing that thing with they flipping them in the air and all that? All of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. she's real tiny, like real tiny. I'm 14. Wow. Yeah. So she's she was the one on the top of that pyramid doing the triple some double somersault <laughs> off and all that stuff. So. That's how she transformed into stunts, basically. And that and an almighty kind of drive and sort of fearless chutzpah to try anything. And it's, it, I, I would say that's true of any of these creative arts, too, if you say yes and then figure out how you're going to do it later. Absolutely. Absolutely. Always say yes. Yeah. Have you ever... Uh, I mean, that, that happened. Have you ever flipped a bike before? Yep, I can do that. All right, and then it was like better buy a bike, go and start flipping it down at the park. Yeah. <laughs> I always remember when I was in a studio once doing a session, uh, doing guitar, and the producer said, "Hey, uh, can you play the mandolin?" And I was like, "Yep." And, he, and why? And he goes, "Because if you can play the mandolin, we have got another session for you next week, which of course is more money." And I'm like, "Oh fuck no, <laughs> yeah, right. oh totally." And totally. I, I had like three days, and I was busy for two of them or something. So <sighs> I, borrow, I borrowed a mandolin, downloaded all the chords and scales and everything, and just spent an afternoon. There you go. <laughs> you know, went in there, and I, of course, I didn't need to know that much information. Right. I just had to play a few melodies, but right. nailed it. Got another day's pay. There you go. That's yeah. the one. Well, and you know, um, now you can play the mandolin, and you got paid. <laughs> exactly. Well, did you always have that attitude from the start? Like, yeah, I've always. Just... I'll pick up any instrument and uh, make a hash of it. That's, yeah, that's fine. And the yes attitude when someone says. Yeah, you know, do you want to join this band or do this gig or whatever? Always, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just say yes. I mean, although these days less so because sometimes you really just have to say no. But right, um, pretty much, yeah. I think you have to be like that, don't you? You know, what were you like as a kid? Were you were you um, quite a social person or quite a, uh, a introvert? Or no, I always had a always had a, a sort of I always had a gang. Yeah, and they were the music. They were the scar kids at school, and then cool. the punky scar kids, and then. Bands, you yeah, know, and then hospitality people. Because if you're in, if you're playing, as you know, I, mean, I played clubs for at least ten or 
15 years, I suppose. 10, 10, well, about 10 years, I guess, around in mainly Auckland with Blue Speak, oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. the jazzy sort of thing. I, I made very average attempts at being uh, Chet Baker and Miles Davis, <laughs> combined into one adult party boy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but again, I was lucky in that, in, in, with that one that I had real, real jazz musicians around me, Tom Lovigson and Paul Hewitt yep. and um, Peter Scott and all those guys, you know, Chris Watts. Um, great, great players. And I learned a shitload off them. But the, the point, point I was going to make was that, you know, you, you end up living a night lifestyle when you're doing that. We were probably only doing four, three to four shows a week, maybe three. Yeah. We had three regular gigs and then occasionally you'd get a wedding or a party or something. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, you know, so you end up living that nightlife mm. where you're, you're sleeping in late because you're up late. Um, everyone you know is either, a, a, you know, all your girlfriends are bar barmaids. Sure, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise, you know, you know, it doesn't work. It's the only people you run into. Yeah, well, it? and yeah. the other thing, it's terrible, you know, <laughs> people getting up early when you're trying to sleep and going yeah. off to work is not convenient. So, um, so you never had a, a day job or anything like that? Never had a day job. Yeah. I was a student for a while uh, and at, at Auckland University I did three years of architecture. Oh, yeah, so you can build a house. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, shit, yeah. I'll cool. do a bridge right over that harbour. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think no, architecture is one of those things where I think music you say yes, but I think if you were a bridge designer or an architect and they said, we're building the biggest tower ever, you probably wouldn't get asked. But, right. um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's a good lifestyle, you know, and I, I think I, I suit those hours and I always have. And right. um, even as a kid, I couldn't stand getting up in the morning and, I like to stay up late. I never wanted to go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you find it hard sometimes to relate to to people who have more conventional lives? Because I do. Um, well, I find them more interesting in some ways. I, I, oh, yeah. I found, yeah, just because it's so different than what we do. You know, it's right. like it's kind of like I know what you mean, though. Of course, yeah. I, I I feel like I couldn't live that life myself. Although I'm forced into it a little bit with with a kid now, with a yeah. little one. Yeah, having to get up. I fucking hate it. <laughs> Take to school, you know, but um, I would say that if you're going to be certainly an artist, I think you you don't you don't want to fall into the trap of surrounding yourself with only artists, you know. I think right. you need to to find out more than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kiwi's generally good at that because we usually travel a bit, and, yeah, and we you, there's not that many artists, <laughs> but you don't want to end up. I don't think uh, entirely surrounded by people like you. I think that's true for the way you spend your time too because I know that I was just all in from the start like when I it kind of snapped in my head when I was about 12 and I was just all in that was everything I was right and somewhere in more recent years I think I started to relax that it's like you know yeah. I can do other things I can be I, I don't have to be this person all the time yeah it's okay to know one lawyer <laughs> yeah and I and, and I and I you know I actually about the same time we got a dog and we started doing it you know what I mean and mm-hmm. it sort of balanced my my head out a bit. Yeah, that's right. It, yeah. Well, that's an age thing as well. I think there's a certain point from probably from about 14, 13, 14 mm. through to about 21, 20, yeah. where you just, you don't really know who you are, so you follow the tribe yeah. and you figure it out and you, you're 100% commit to it. Mm. And then at that point, perhaps, you know, you can branch out. But I don't know. Uh, it's a strange world, that's for sure, the, the creative world. In the sense that no one will drive you but yourself. Right. 
you know, you have to, so you have to believe in what you're doing. Yeah. Otherwise you're, <laughs> you're hopeless. And you have to, I, I realise that too, like no one's going to do it for you as much as, uh, as much as you can do it for yourself. Well, kind of actually, yeah. uh, on, on that exact subject, we became friends with Melinda Newman, who was the, one of the editors of um, Billboard magazine when we first came up here in 2003. Yeah. She, she was a bit of a fan, so we sort of got to know her a bit. And she said the best bit of advice ever for any musician, and it was no one cares about your career as much as you do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no one cares quite as much. Sometimes that's a hard lesson to learn. About your career as you do. <laughs> look, at, look at the thing so, I made and you're like, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, you know, that's a great one to put into perspective for, for anyone, for managers, for girlfriends, boyfriends, yeah. um, band members, um, so on. You, you're you and they're them and they've got their own priorities and yours have to be your own music. Yeah. Otherwise you'll be... Oh, your own journey through music, I guess, or whatever creative thing it is. I think we, we've all grown up looking at the Beatles and bands like that, and it's the idea of being in this sort of tight little unit and everyone's in together. We, I think we all deep down want that, don't we? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We still do. I mean, I love touring with uh, whoever it is. It's, hmm. Often these days it's uh, only two or three, or it always was only. Uh, a lot of the, all the touring we did in the US was was duo, so right. oftentimes just me and Ted, yeah. manager Michelle Becker. But um, nothing like getting the gang of boys around, uh, even yeah. even the old lads like we have now, you know, get the old boys in the van, and it's changed a lot. Yeah. We still have, we actually have more fun than we used to in some ways because back in the day we were more inclined to just get roaringly out of it and then disperse into the city and, and uh, on, very, <laughs> on our own misadventures, you know. <laughs> uh, whereas these days it's, you know, Mark Hughes, he's, he, he's back to the hotel make a toast within about five minutes Cup after the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I, I still think there's, uh, there's a great feeling of setting out with a little group to, on a mission of something and it doesn't, I mean, I'm sure the guys that set out to fix a fucking pothole two miles down the road in their truck with their with their flask and their fucking joint in their bag. Yeah. It's probably just, it's the same feeling. Yeah. We're heading out on a mission. Camaraderie. You know? Yeah, camaraderie, yeah. precisely. Yeah. And, you know, some people say, you know, if I could go back, I would change things or talk to my younger self, I'd tell them to stop doing that or start doing that or whatever. Do you feel like that or, is it, or do you feel like you well, went through a process that got to you to where you are? I did. I think yeah. I, think, uh, I missed, I think I failed to see huge opportunities that were right in front of me right a couple of times failed to not to, not failed to see them but failed to process didn't do what I ought to have done mm-hmm. to take those opportunities and it would have been easy it would yeah. have just been don't be a dick <laughs> do that <laughs> so do it. you didn't identify them or you just I didn't think, handle them i just think that you know there's a certain stubbornness and that I've always had that has stopped me doing a couple of things I should have done that really would have, could have made a big difference, basically. Right. Yeah. A huge difference, potentially. But what are you going to do? I mean, at the same time, um, I will be able to sit uh, on my final resting place and say, well, I pretty much did whatever I fucking wanted my yeah. entire life. Yeah. <laughs> there was very few things I, that people told me to do that I actually did or wanted to do. <laughs> um, so... That's something, I guess. I, I listened to one of the... I think it was either the last or one of the last interviews with Tom Petty, and he said 
he says something interesting. He goes, he, go, uh, he goes, I know, I've known a lot of guys in our business who were better songwriters than you would ever usually hear. Mm-hmm. Fantastic musicians, great talents. And, but he, he said they just weren't ever prepared to play the game. Right. And so they just never got over the line. And he yeah. wasn't talking about that like they made a mistake. It was, almost, it was almost like he was saying respect to them, you know, in some ways. But in other ways, you know, they they, they never end up with a vehicle to... Yeah, that's right. I know. mean, and, and everyone, and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I wouldn't have loved to have had a much bigger audience. Because right. because bigger audience brings more resources and mm. more resources means more fun. That's right. Yeah. More, well, more possibilities. And we're also wired that way, aren't we? That we're always yeah. looking for the next step up in whatever we're doing. Yeah. Same with playing music. You know, you're always like, how, to, how can I improve what I'm doing? A- absolutely. Or, you know, you know yeah. and, and, and so if, in that sense, you, you know, tell me the man or woman on this planet that feels like they got entirely where they want to be. I don't know. Maybe yeah. there are some. They're probably spiritual people, you know. <laughs> yeah. Some yeah. guy in India on the road with no shirt on. Do do you think your your goals though have changed over the years? Because I like I I said this last time, but I realised at one point recently that a lot of my ambition in my life had been developed when I was twelve. And right, I, and I yeah, realised like that. Yeah, I realised how foolish that was in a way. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> chasing the fantasy of yeah, rock and roll. Exactly. Well, that's true. Yeah, mm. yeah. You know, um, they do change. But one one surprising, um, I suppose, um, turn up is. I've kind of come back around to music after all this. I mean, we sort of peaked. Um, my sort of shot at the big time kind of peaked around 2003 and four, and it was like really we thought that was why we moved here, you know. Mm. So um, we moved, moved here to break it in America. That was well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I was ready for a change as well. I was pretty sick in New Zealand, and I was pretty sick of my hometown there and mm-hmm. wandering up and down Ponsby Road and getting drunk, yeah, getting bored. So, um, yeah, I was definitely ready to get out of there. Yeah. And so that was great. And, you know, I had a kind of connection to L.A. in that my dad was a pilot and he, he was based out of here a few times for New Zealand. Oh, over okay, the years. Right. So you'd been coming out here a lot. Yeah, before. I'd come up here a bit before. And we'd, before we moved, we'd actually been up here like maybe five times or something. Yeah. And played shows and fucked around and... You know, um, hung out as long as possible and uh, I get gone it. to a million meetings and that yeah. went nowhere. And right. Finally, one did the last minute. It's actually a really good story. At some point, I'll probably uh, rewrite it down. But um, anyway, uh, all of that sort of came to head once that label collapsed, and then then we went out on our own and managed to get quite a lot of radio with um, the song "Save Yourself." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we had to pay agents to take it to the radio. Right. You know, yeah. a lot of money, and yeah. we weren't a record company, so that went pretty quick. Yeah, and then, despite that, we did get it up there on on and um, had some good moments. You know, especially in Boston, where we sold out the Paradise Lounge a couple of nights, and awesome. we had um, big show in the Copley Square for one of their um, the River Radio Station. There's one of their stations um, had been a real early proponent of the song and kind of broke it yep. through. And got on the ch- on that top forty AC chart and all that stuff, but the reality was it was c- it just cost far more than it was worth, which yeah. is why the label had gone finally agreed with their accountants. Yeah, you know, like we either spend five million dollars or we cut our losses and run. Right, because that's the reality here. Yeah, you know, uh, and we're trying to scoot all over this country that's got three hundred million people in it, and meanwhile the very state that I'm in's got 
ten times more people in it than New Zealand. Yeah. And that's one state. Exactly. So, you you know, the scale of it requires... That's why, you know, that's why all these um, chain corporations work here because you just keep opening up. That model works. You just keep opening them up. Mm-hmm. But it's not cheap to build 20,000... Burger King stores, you no, know. not at all. <laughs> you need capital, <laughs> yeah, and we didn't have capital, so and that would have also been right at the time where everyone was panicking in the music. It was industry. an absolute free for all yeah. and, and a slide, and all the people in the label that I was an indie label, but it was twenty people, and they were all from major labels, yeah. And I have to hand it to the A and R guy who signed us. He 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 turned out to be a bit of a bit of an asshole, but like they all are. But he. <laughs> um, but he did have an ear for a song, I think, which is which was nice. Um, yeah. And then essentially after that, you know, we had uh, I made a couple of records. Well, I made a, my favorite record actually, which is anyone can say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And then um, then that recession hit, and I, I I kind of I don't even know what happened through about five years there, but I know I didn't really. I mean, I was doing shows, I was doing stuff. wasn't I don't think it was that great, but. Um, you know, I did did I was doing music, but I really wasn't loving music in the same way I used to. I wasn't really listening to much music. Spent a lot of time riding my bike around, you know, smoking weed and riding my bike around, wondering what the fuck was going on. Right. It was very hard to survive for that. For I, I don't I know the recession hit New Zealand a bit, but it was like a, a sledgehammer here. Yeah, yeah. And and I always say the example, best example was. We had this little apartment on uh, on this alley, and, and the kitchen window looked on the alley. And um, for about the first few years there, there's every day you'd see the FedEx truck, the UPS truck, the delivery trucks all up and down there all the time. And I got to know the I'd wave at the bloody guy. I know them so well. Then that recession cra- that happened, that that the whole share market crash and all that shit. Yeah. Basically, the very next day, there was like. Tumbleweeds down that right. alley. Yeah, every uh, two thirds of the shops in the, uh, near around us were empty. It was just—I mean, there was nothing happening. Yeah, <laughs> I remember thinking at the time, like, if they just stopped talking about it, would be better off, you know, because everyone was freaking out. No one was buying anything, yeah. and it, all the industry just ground to a halt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think New Zealand was lucky, and it was insulated slightly by it by our um, natural. Resources, you know, our incredible milk and cheese and butter and yeah. stuff was still worth a lot of money. I felt it pretty bad though. You did? Yeah, it was a sort of a delayed impact for me. Right. It kicked in late 2008 and right. I was feeling it about a year later. Yeah. But my, my business sort of not was knocked down by about a half. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. So and I had to it was bad. out of it. Yeah. Because what, what probably <clears throat> happened, well, we know the first thing that happens is that corporations that were freely spending on this and that and the other, Yeah. which is a, lot, a large part of any working musician's life i guess is those kind That's of right. gigs right yeah and uh, and rich people throwing parties and stuff you yep. rely on a bit of that Absolutely. you are going to play for the king sooner or later <laughs> if that's what you we know. are jesters yes yeah. exactly <laughs> and you know historically and traditionally the lowest of the low the yeah. musicians that's were right not, we're not considered <laughs> by uh, they were scum basically <laughs> yeah that's one, true one better than than the guy who um you know hoovering the shit out of the fucking stables <laughs> but uh Mainly, I think that was a resentment mainly because the musicians quite often were probably like, you know, um, getting one over the king's um, harem or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. While he wasn't looking. Yeah. But, uh, so it all came around. Yeah. <laughs> different way. Yeah. And they ask them. I mean, there's a degree of truth to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, that 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 whole thing just seemed to be a blur. I don't know, you know, where those years went. But um, were you also a little bit burnt out by? The yeah, whole it, it, it came at the same time as you know. Yeah. You're you know now you've got to come to the come to the realization that your dream of worldwide domination is dead in the yeah. water and never going to revive. I mean, um, I've I've been through that a little bit, and but it's always surprising when you hear someone like yourself who's so established and and. And and well known has a fan base and regularly tours, and but you know it's everyone. It is just the reality, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what what I've realised over the last few years, as well, which has been really interesting, is that you've just got you know, and particularly those of us who were lucky enough in some ways to have major labels back in the day, because despite all the bullshit, and we, I think we talked about that last time too, yeah. that you know you're making fifteen percent of of wholesale. Yeah. Less deductions, less management, less tax, less everything else, and so you know there was really very little chance you were going to make any money on. Uh, on you'd have to sell a hell of a lot of records before you'd see anything other than the advance, right? And the advance you have to make the record as well. Yeah, and I'd always put a few thousand dollars out of that, and I think I bought a girlfriend a three thousand dollar coat jacket once out of there just to be a <laughs> dick. <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't believe it, but um. You know, it's not cheap to make a good record either, no. especially wasn't then. I mean, it is much more now. But, um, you know, it's become a different industry. But I, I was going to say, those artists that were lucky enough to have um, the promotional machine at a time when it was could be a lot more focused, I think, as well. Yeah. And, you know, uh, can, can at least say, well, we, you know, hopefully if you've been smart enough to hold on to your fan base and, and, and keep making music or whatever, then you've got it. You've got something there, and that is an already established market. Yeah. It might be shrinking, it might be aging, mm-hmm. it might be doing all of those, but it might be expanding as well. Right. Um, and, you know, I saw a few people in recent times that I'd grown up thinking were gods, like um, Lloyd Cole and the Commotions, man. I just love that record. Yeah. Little Snakes and all that stuff. That To me, I grew up with that record cool. as a kid and just thought, you know, this is the coolest of cool English music. Yeah. And uh, a couple of years back, um, my promoter plus one, Kurt Shanks, was, um, hey, you want to go out on the road with Lloyd Cole? He's solo and you come out solo. And I'm like, fucking A. Yeah. yeah. How awesome. <laughs> and then you get to realise that, you know, Lloyd Cole's kind of like, I suppose, an English version of what I kind of did. He was never really huge in England. Yeah. And he was... You know, he was known, mm-hmm. but he wasn't Oasis. Right. He wasn't later, obviously earlier than them. But he, he was a better example. He wasn't, um, I don't know, I think of um, Duran Duran. Yeah, yeah. But um, nevertheless, he had some some hits um, and some good songs and, and a loyal audience. Right. Now, he basically uh, has had, I suppose, a similar kind of tra- trajectory uh, from that I have and that... His, his records that broke through got him enough of a fan base. Now he tours everywhere. His, he was much broader. He was known in a lot more countries, obviously, yeah. um, than I was. He was an international breakthrough rather than local. But um, he he does exactly what I do, but on a slightly... with a, with a bunch more cities, you know. Plays to uh, a few hundred people here and there yeah. for a good ticket price because yeah. they want to see it. And, you know... Um, it's a really good show. He, he he keeps the price, he keeps the 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 expenses down. Travels mm-hmm. by himself or with one or two mostly. Yeah, 
And, um, I mean, to see Lloyd lugging his merch around, you know, his box of CDs and stuff, made me think, all right, you know what? I'm, I'm doing the right thing. We're, We're all doing, the same. We're all the same. Yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, there's a lot of attention, a lot of focus on uh, album sales declining, obviously, yeah. and streaming and all of that. Uh, one of the things that I've thought about a lot more recently, because I kind of entered the music industry just as it went down the toilet, you know. So, right. So I didn't, know, <laughs> I didn't experience the days before that. Right. And, and one of the things I've been thinking about recently is, is actually no one ever made money out of albums, which is you're, you're basically reinforcing. Yeah. And potentially the, the biggest problem now is not where the money's coming from from the albums, but how do you connect with an audience? Yeah. Because if you go back 20, 30 years, there's only a couple of TV channels that's right. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's one place that people get, or maybe two places people get the news. It's a lot easier. It's not. It was never easy, but it's a lot easier to reach a broader range of people, right? Yes, I think that is true. I think the what you're saying there is actually right because you when you bomb essentially bombard people with something that they don't really have a choice over. Mm. Some of them will like it. Some of them won't. Right. But Everyone a lot of people. Knows about it, though. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people will hear something that they wouldn't have otherwise heard. And, and part of the problem now with this kind of uh, ever, the, the long tail, they call it, right? Yeah. Very, very long tail. This tail gets longer and longer mm. from the guy who sells one album to his mother to the guy who sells a few hundred, a few thousand, ten thousand, a hundred. I mean, people used to chuckle and laugh when I, I told them that, that you know, we'd only sold, you know, caviar, here comes a caviar, only sold 12,000 copies in New Zealand. And yeah. It's like, 12,000 is not much, is it? Now I think, fucking 12,000 is not... Shitloads. <laughs> shit That's not bad. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, the record companies, I think we mentioned this too, they would always make you feel like you're a bit of a loser if you didn't sell, mm. you know, because they were always going for the big score. They wanted 100,000 copies, right. like Robbie Williams. Greg, you've only sold 10,000 or 5,000. We want to sell 30,000 like, you know, someone else. It's like, well, okay, yeah. I had a small uh, deal back in the day and had that kind of vibe too. And I always thought, well, it's not my problem. I know. You're right? the one selling well, it. You know, that's exactly right. <laughs> exactly. And if we'd had decent management at the time, I probably would have said, you know what? Yeah. Fucking do your job. We're done. We've given you a good record. Yeah. Shown that it gets on the radio. Now go and sell the fucking records. I had this moment where I realised the guy I dealt with I thought, wait, when has he ever actually broken an artist? When has he taken an artist from zero to 100 himself? And I thought about it, and I, I couldn't think of one. Well, that was, a, that was a, um, a large problem with New Zealand being a bit of an outpost, was that the infrastructure to, to kind of, I use the word nurture in its, most, in its least relevant way, <laughs> uh, nurture young artists <laughs> through to success. But, you know, there have been, I, I think... Um, uh, probably Adam Holt deserves some credit for Lord for, mm. for, for, for seeing that early and, and getting out to the rest of the world. I'm yeah. sure he does. Um, you know, it, 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 it was just what it was. It was you, you, everyone has survived, uh, survived and, and you live within the realm that you live within. I mean, you, you can't change history either. So no. it comes to the point where what are you going to do now? And, and I think you've got to have... Uh, you've got to have You've got to have something that people want. There's no doubt, you know. You, um, or do you? Yeah. What do people want now? Well, they'll find you. They'll find you yeah. if they want it. I'm not saying you have to see what people want and then do it. <laughs> yeah. It has to be good enough for someone to like it. If no one likes it, you, you're really not going to get anywhere. Because I kind of feel like we're all off the hook in a way. We don't need to write the three minute thirty hit because it, you're entirely right. You know, we may as well just make art. Uh, exactly. You know, 
That's exactly right. There's yeah. no, there are no rules at all now. Yeah. Spotify doesn't care. They don't listen. They just, they just stream it. Yeah. So I mean, there was a. <laughs> Wasn't there that thing where people were putting up tracks of silence and, <laughs> yeah. and streaming and getting paid for it? It's like, Jesus, there's an asshole everywhere, around every corner, right? <laughs> trying to find a way to make money. I like that, though. I did, stick, I It was thought, a stick at the streaming thing. Yeah, it's like, I, I, fuck you guys. I, yeah. thought it was really, so I thought it was pretty funny, too. Yeah. <laughs> All they had to do, though, was, was like sing one or two little things in a little... Oh. <laughs> and they could have called it art, and they'd still be doing it. Um yeah, so I think you are right. There's no that structure's all gone. Radio was was always a bit crap and difficult anyway. Yeah, the idea that radio in New Zealand used to be easy is is patently not true. And really? you know, I was lucky; I got shitloads of it. But there were long, long years prior to that when I didn't get any. Yeah, and we tried pretty hard too. So you know, so, perseverance. So how did you sort of? Break. What was your break? Did you have a moment, or was there a person? Or? Uh, well, no, I don't think so. I don't think there's really any one break. Uh, um, what felt like the biggest break was the back when Isabel was on one on a little indie label. Mm. Trevor Reek and Cheryl Morris were running it, yep. and um, that felt like a break because that went on the radio, and they got that on the radio. No one was getting played on the radio. No New Zealand artists, that's for sure. High, that high rotation. Was it? You know, not bad at that point. It, it definitely, um, you know, I can't remember the exact kind of figures on that stuff, but it sure. was on the radio. Yeah. And the single went in the chart. I think I only got to, got to four. It never got to number one. Right. But, but it four, there. that's still great. Well, it was as an indie, yeah, yeah and that's yeah. the thing. The only people that were getting anything on the radio were like the Cats Away and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And, you know, um, I know all those people and they're very smart people, but it's not the kind of music I, I was particularly into myself. Yeah. And the radio itself was very, as always, very driven by what was coming from overseas, you know. And, and um, so it was just, you know, it got through. And I think that song, song got through in the same way. And I wish it was a much bigger way. But um, it's that song like Gaultier, that song a couple oh, yeah. of years ago, da, da, with, um, da, 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 with wonderful da, da. New Zealand... Uh, Kimbra. Some, Kimbra, yeah. yeah. She's, now, a, she's amazing. She's incredible. Yeah, yeah I really admire uh, her music and I think she's, she's got the right attitude for sure. And she can deliver live too. I haven't seen her live. I'd yeah. love to see that. Yeah. But, you know, that song came from nowhere. This weird little song. And it's like, why did it get through? It was because it worked. It's a song. You, you just want to hear it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a great story. And it's, yeah, it's just unique, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's unique. Just, so, yeah. you know, I was lucky in that sense. And also um, some credit to um, to the band at the time as well, who really were an, an eclectic bunch. Right. Um, Johnny Fleury and Nigel Russell and, you know, Mark Turney yeah. produced that and he uh -huh. was talented beyond his years, that boy. He lives out here now, doesn't he? He does, yeah, yeah. somewhere in... Actually, I think rather close to me. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it was a combined effort. And I think Pagan being an indie label could probably... You, you could almost go back to the way they approach stuff then now because what they did with that song was that we, we, we bought wholesale vodka from somewhere cheap, I can't remember, two boxes of Stolly, and, and they would sit in their office and they, would, they put out a thing to all the record stores around... Around uh, Auckland, around no, around the country. Yeah. Uh, bottle of Stolly. If we ring up and any of and Greg's albums on when we ring up, you can hold the phone up and it's in the, it's playing <laughs> for that person who answers the phone. Right. right? Yeah. And um, so they were playing it in the record stores and play. You play music in the record stores, people buy that record. Interesting. 
Is that yeah, right? It's an old school. Yeah. It's old school. So now I don't know quite what, how, what the comparison of that is. No one goes to record stores. But that worked. I mean, people, you know, the idea, if, if you're just sitting in your, in your store and it's like, I'm going to put this on and I win myself a bottle of Stolling, that's great. Um, <laughs> But the thing that there, creative marketing. I mean, with with very no, with very right. small resources. Yeah, that's what you kind of. I mean, there's probably a digital way to do the equivalent of that now. I don't know, but that's an entrepreneurial way of approaching, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is that I mean, I hear about a lot of, you know, you hear some behind the scenes stories in the business, don't you? And there's there's a lot of very well known artists who actually never really sold any records, but yeah. they're all, you know, branded like they did. Absolutely. And it's quite shocking when you learn some of that stuff. But you clearly have a. A, an engaged audience. Well, yeah, and it started right at the start, didn't it? Well, it did, but we but we built that up with that wasn't done through radio or anything else. I think that was done by the old-fashioned way, like just start touring, shaking hands. Yeah, sort of and thing. just getting out again and again and again on the road. I mean, the mm. Greg Johnson set. <laughs> you know, we went all over this country, um, not this country, all over that country. Yeah, um, all over New Zealand, and <laughs> um, you know, we played again and again. We didn't just go. Once we'd go back, go right. back, go back, go back. We had a little run we had. We'd do Bodega in Wellington. We'd drive down to Wellington and sometimes do something on the way, but usually not. Two nights at Bodega, Friday, Saturday. Drive down and play the same night? Oh, yeah, of course. Wow. Yeah, drive down that morning. <laughs> and then play. And then uh, we stayed, like at, your ass. stayed at Trekkers. Oh, you know, yeah. the, the roads weren't quite as busy and the cars yeah, seemed true. bigger and faster somehow. I don't know, maybe yeah. they weren't. I know we used to drive like bad out of hell down there, and yeah. probably um, there was a lot less traffic and certainly less cops. Yeah, New Zealand's like a police state these days. That's right. Um, but um, we'd get down there. We'd do two nights, stay at Trekkers. Oh my god, that place! When it was really was a backpackers, it was <laughs> such a shit. <shithole. laughs> but we'd all stay in one room. That's fine. And then yeah. um, the second night, and then on the Sunday, we'd Sunday morning we'd drive and we'd play New Plymouth. There was a surfy bar there called, uh, I cannot remember the name of it, but we'd do about 100 people there on a Sunday night. And, and the guy who ran it was a, this hilarious guy, surfy. He was, he was a classic. Yeah. Um, what was that called? It'll come back to me. Probably <laughs> Lasers with a Z or something. But, no, that was a club <laughs> in New Plymouth. That's yeah. right, a real, real good one. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, that was great. And, you know, so we'd find these pockets of places we'd go and play, and we'd do that. We'd probably do that three times a year at least. Yeah. And then all the other places in between, everything else we could do all around Auckland as often as possible, parties, festivals, all that shit. And then just keep doing it, keep making records and keep playing. How did you re-engage with the, with the fans? Because obviously you wouldn't have had social media and that sort of thing. So um, people come to the show and they love it. How do you try and get them back to the show? You know, I don't have any recollection of trying to get people to shows. They just seemed to come to shows back then. It right. a lot easier. You put up a poster and <laughs> they showed up. Do you think it was more of a culture it, thing? People just went out? It, it could have been. And yeah. also, uh, you know, I think I mentioned this the other day, it was uh, my audience was young as well. Yeah. When you're young, you go out. And when you're young and you're following a band, you go and follow them. Yeah. Because... You know, you and your mates are going to go see that band, right? Because you, all your other mates will be there. It's a social thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, that changes a bit as you get, you know, when you get older into the kind of family sort of starting crowd, and then it's all a bit more difficult. But then they, then the kids grow up and go away, and then they, then they come out again. Yeah. <laughs> and I we, see all this. You were, were you organising these tours yourself, or did you have management at that point? Um, I had management, but my management was like. My mate who worked at Hort Research had an office up there, and right. he would, he'd be we'd go and 
we'd go in there and, and Davin, Davin Voot was his name, and uh, an extraordinarily wonderful man. But he'd, he'd have uh, some sort of plant plant DNA thing going. And he'd have, Hang on, I've just got to go and... Uh, <laughs> I'd go up to see him. Go Hang on, tubes. I've just got to go and uh, in- incubate this virus <laughs> room and I'll be back. Come back. And then he'd be on the phone, he had posters around, like, it's the other scientists were looking at him, like, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> and he had organised these... Um, these shows for us and do all the phoning and everything else. And yeah. he was he was very efficient in a scientific way that worked for him. And also a very a very and this is another good one actually if you are travelling a lot and young and a bit stupid and inclined to be getting involved with punters' girlfriends and 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 drinking too much and all that stuff. I think it's really good to have a management or a slash bodyguard. Right? And Davin was... Uh, I was wondering what yeah. you were going to say next just then. I was yeah. like, where is this going? Yeah, no, Davin, yeah. Davin was the kind of guy who was... He, he did uh, one of those martial arts very well. He had a black belt in one of them, and he was very—he was quite strong. And, and he had a uh, very calm, extraordinarily calm demeanour. Yeah. But also a, a, a good sense of humour and, and an, a voracious appetite for alcohol and drugs, which seemed to have no effect on him. <laughs> At all, no matter how much. So it was. He was always very good. There was one time in uh, I think it was Rotorua, we, we, me and Trevor and Davin came back from this gig. We'd been out drinking afterwards, into this bar at the, at the motor, and, and it was like um, some kind of motocross thing or something. Yeah. If it happened now, I would have said, "Hey, my cousin's one of the champions." But um, anyway, we walked in, and it was one of those scenes where the whole place it was you know late. Everyone's been drinking a lot Friday. The whole place sort of fell silent. We walked because Trevor had long hair, and Davin looked at his eyes. It looked like a pretty scruffy, scruffy little thing. And um, we're all standing there. It's all a bit quiet. And Davin looks over, without saying anything, drops and does the full splits to the ground and back up again, <laughs> and back up without and without saying anything. And Trevor and I just kind of like, what the fuck? The whole place kind of like. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's when I got back to it. <laughs> it was like, it was really funny. It was a brilliant icebreaker. Did, did you ever have much grief on the road from, you know, people getting a bit <sighs> drunk or violent or anything mm, like that? Not, nothing too much. Most, yeah. of the, most of the fighting and stuff I saw was playing clubs in Auckland, honestly. Yeah. I got in a few, you know, stupid late night fisty cuffs with people. Always over girlfriends. Right, yeah. Never anything else. Really? Always, uh, the, always. One, the ones that I've witnessed or been involved with have usually been someone demanding to play your guitar or, or that you play the song they want to hear. No, no one would ever do that because I would uh, just go, oh, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was never friendly to those people. And it's usually when you start getting friendly to those people that you run into trouble. It's when you give them a minute, eh? Yeah, you yeah, the, yeah, exactly, yeah. You exactly. engage. But yeah. um, no, it was, always a, it was always domestic. Yeah. Orientated. Um, but you do get to see a lot of the, of the worst of, and of humanity. And oh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and the best. All, all, yeah, all all shades, all types, all all levels of wealth, all cultures. Oh yeah, it's yeah. it's quite a revealing job in a way, isn't it? It is. Yeah. you know, you can pretty much pick them out. I wonder if that's why musicians and creative people in general are usually quite liberal and progressive, and more empathetic. I don't know. You could be right. Well, some of them are more empathetic. Hughes some, is not. Some some of them are more pathetic. Mark Hughes, not he's very much you, you know <laughs> look after yourself. <laughs> he's a libertarian, extreme libertarianism that he espouses. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but you're right, though. I mean, you do have to you do have to know people because I mean, that, and that's why you know I'm a nightclub singer. We mentioned that. I'm yeah. a club singer. Yeah, it's been my whole. I've never played giant rooms. Right. 
you know, the biggest rooms I've ever played be, would be the sort of 1,000 seat, 1,200. That would be the biggest ever. Mm. Um, and that's mostly behind, I think, too. You, these days it's, you know, two, 300 seaters, yep. sometimes 100, sometimes 400. But a crowd you can see yeah. right in front of you. Yeah. And I like that. I like to have them there. I like to... I don't sing till I can see the whites of their eyes. <laughs> um, and that means you've got to, you, know, you, you, you have responsibility to the other members of the crowd to take care of any issues with idiots. Yeah. And usually it's, it's the best thing you can do is actually allow crowd self-controlling, really. Yeah, right, yeah. And suggest, see that guy, I don't know, what are we going to do about him? <laughs> and then and there's usually some hero will come and like grab him by the neck or something. <laughs> um, you were saying last time how how the big shows where there's the, the the separation between the stage and the audience, the barrier and so on, how disconcerting. That yeah, is. it's not. Yeah. A, I mean, my music's not that kind of music, really. Anyway. Right. It's not bombastic or or grandiose. Hopefully, I don't know what kind of music suits that. But made massive Van Halen, rock, massive rock bands, eh? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I found it always really weird. Like, yeah, I don't know. I kind of feed off the audience's reaction, and you just don't get it like that. Big shows, I guess, yeah. where you've got the you know the lights come up and ten, twenty dancers leap out and yeah. four hundred floating pigs come out, that kind of thing. Mm. But um, as far as it goes for the kind of music that I've always done, um, it's sort of intimate. You know, it's listening music really. So the most fun really are the small gigs where they've paid a large ticket price. <laughs> theaters would be theaters are good, but theaters also can be a bit. I like theatres, small theatres I like, but big theatres are also a little bit kind of, they're all sort of spreading up and away from you and you can't move around. And right. I, I don't know. I st- to me, there's still nothing like a small seated venue. I don't know. Part yeah. seating maybe or uh, I don't know. But, but no, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's, it's good to have a real, a real... Um, experience with the people and that requires for my act anyway it's it's partly you know the songs are kind of quite personal in some ways and yeah and um so that's how it works out you know and these days um a, a large part of my show is after the show i'll go out and sign cds people always say oh you still do cds why do you do that i said well because you can't sign a freaking download can you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um and it's good, and people love that. And honestly, I'm sure people come out and buy CDs who don't even have a bloody CD player. They want a memento. Yeah, that's right. And they want, to, and you, they get to say hello. We have a chat, whatever. And a lot of people are old friends or fans that I haven't seen for a while, or you know, they, they, you know, um, they may not have come to a show for a number of years, or whatever. And then um, people bring old stuff too to sign. It's yeah. kind of fun, but it's just a good way to have a drink after the show. Meet some people and make some more money. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I just want to jump back to when you're saying you you got into this kind of dark place with with maybe life in general, but at least with music. Yes. When did that turn around, and what turned it around? Um, good question. I'm not sure, to be quite honest. Um, I think fifty. I, think I turned fifty, you know, and it's like, holy shit. Um, I don't, and I've been thinking maybe I should get another job. I'm really struggling to, you know, pay all my bills. I got a kid now, and yeah. she's just got massive medical bills for this thing she had, and it's like, you know, um, it's you're thinking, crack on my, how am I going to do this? So I was asking around, thinking about other things I could do, and my, one of my cousin's husband was quite good. He owns this company. I said, do you think I could be a sales rep for you or something? He's uh, uh, here in the US, and, I, and Ken Bing said, you know. 
I think you probably better to you probably better to try and find ways to do what you do and stay within what you you know. You yeah. Know? And he was entirely right. That'd be the worst sales. I couldn't do it. You can't go to a straight job after 50 years of not having one. You know? Being free. No, it's, it's not going to work. Yeah. So it made me think a bit more. And, and, and at that stage, it was like, you know, really... Uh, th- at that point, I realised how lucky I was and had always been in some ways. And it just that, you know, you have to get over your own... As you said, your own 12-year-old ambition has to become a slightly more mature one. Right, yeah. And uh, renegotiate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what I realised at that point was the one the one factor here that, that was there, whether there was money or not money, was always the music, you know. And I just started rediscovering and re-loving music in a way. It had become, yeah. a, it had become a bit of a job, you know. Yeah. And um, it's a great feeling when you realise that, that you've got it and... You know, once you're 50, holy shit, you're on the short run down now. This, you know, if you're lucky, you've got 25, 20 years or something. Yeah. And so make a few more records. Yeah. Hang out. Yeah. Drink some nice wine. I mean, I relate to that. I relate to that. Hang with your family. That journey, though, because, you know, I sort of went into a similar headspace. <laughs> and for me, it coincided with the streaming thing because I really saw how bad that was. Right. Like, there was a moment where I just thought, oh, what's the point? Yeah. Um, and few other things contributed and I was sort of in that funk for a while and I considered leaving the music industry too I actually sort of considered that every other week I think right yeah <laughs> but I went through a couple of months of really thinking I'd step out yeah um, and then I realized I could actually redesign ultimately redesign my headspace yeah but, that's but, exactly what you're doing but redesign my career as well so that I didn't have all of my sense of value and sense of worth hitched on this one type of success Mm -hmm. you know what I mean exactly and I allowed myself I can be a session musician I can do this sort of project work as it comes up I can sort of do a bunch of stuff and I started to think more about lifestyle that's right lifestyle is very important and that's why I've realised I have been extremely lucky yeah you know what I've I've never had to do a job that I didn't want to do really yeah I mean you do some musical jobs you don't want to do but everyone has to do that right but but you know it's uh, it's definitely worthwhile taking into account that I think because I know you know a ton of people with a whole lot more money than me mm. in fact that's pretty much everyone <laughs> really <laughs> seriously I mean, I, but they don't have uh, this big catalogue of work that they're very proud of yeah you know? and um, and and I know that 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 after me you know, I won't leave my daughter any any cash but I'll leave her uh, a catalogue that earns a bit of money and who knows what the future could do with it. You know, it's like, it's something real. I think and you'll leave her a bigger gift than that. I think she'll see her father, a, a, a man who pursued a, a, a real life. I hope so, to yeah. To try to make the most of his life rather than being afraid. Right. You know? Well, thank you, brother. Yeah. That's very kind you say that. But, you know, I... Um, I, th- I think these things become far more relevant as you get a bit older. And sure. I, mean, I know you're quite a lot younger than I am, obviously. But but I, I think that if you can figure that shit out by your early 30s, you're in a good place. You know, yeah. No one expects anything too dramatic in your 20s other than, you know, I mean, you should have a good time in your 20s because that's when you've got the energy for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's usually your 30s, right? <laughs> Because your twenties are kind of fucked up. Yeah, well, that is true as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was an early teen. No, the yeah. thing is, you've got to. You've got to enjoy the art, and a lot of times people have sort of, you know, talked about this and that and the other, and these these incredible ideas they have for the industry. And I always, I'd always just say, just remember that the music is its own reward. You know. Yeah. Music is its own reward, and we're lucky in that sense because if you're, you know, if you're building concrete blocks. 
to right. sell them. Well, you know. Exactly. What use are they really? But but at least with music, no matter what happens to it, you've got a song, you've got some you've got an instant um, relief from the trials and tribulations of the world. Right. I mean that that's how I got out of my funk is is when I started playing, there was I was just that twelve-year-old with this relationship that was about yeah. this distance between me and the neck, you know, exactly, and just being able to play those strings and hear myself make that sound. Mm-hmm. It was like, what the fuck, I can do this, you know, and that's right. That's where I got back to, and, yeah. and that's where I reset myself, you know. That's it. That sounds like a similar thing. It does, to you. man. Yeah, it does. We're we're the we're reborn. Yeah, reborn musicians and evangelical musicians. <laughs> <laughs> Pentecostal. That's yeah. right. Has it changed your your version or your perception of what success means for you? Yes, it has. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because um, you know that was quite specific before, and that, that was some sort of really quite quite abstract idea of of uh, a lot of money. <laughs> um, yeah, money was. I think obviously, like like a lot of us, you know, we dream being rich. Yeah, having this big house and you know all the rest of it. Um, but then again, you know, I remember Neil Finn had his big house. We had the million dollar check and the check for the made out to the burglar and stuff, and that was wonderful. I'm sure he, he lived and loved it, yeah, and carry carry and all that. But he didn't seem that much more happy than anyone else, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> A little bit more miserable sometimes. Yeah. But you know, it, that's the thing. I've known plenty of people who got lots of money and really kind of hate themselves or hate their their job or they they just never have time yeah. to spend on all their money. The neighbourhood I'm in, you know, we live in a tiny shoebox, but but up the road only a mile is these huge mansions. Mm. I'd ride my bike around up there or whatever. And the only people I'd ever see enjoying those beautiful gardens were the Mexican gardens. Wow. Because the other ones that did the work, they'd be sitting out there and having their lunch and <laughs> laughing. I think, good on you guys. You did the work. Yeah. You enjoy this garden. You'd never see the owners. You'd see basketball hoops, but never any kid throwing a thing. The kid's off trying to, they're trying to teach the kid how he can make enough money. To right, them. yeah get this too but you know they're never there yeah ever speaking of mexicans have you heard the story about the mexican fisherman no it's like an old proverb or something right. and it's about that lifestyle lesson the very uh, i'll break it right down yeah. to be super short <laughs> but the, the idea is that there's this there's this fisherman who goes and fishes and and comes back and has a siesta he might go out again and in, in the evenings he he hangs out with his friends and family it's his great right. life right and he meets uh, this american businessman who says, if you do this and do that, you can buy another boat and you know, expand your crew and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. And he keeps saying, why would I do that? Well, then you can buy another boat and you can da-da-da-da. Why would I do that? Well, then you blah, blah, blah. And he builds the whole thing up. Um, and he goes, why would I do that? Well, then you can sell it all and you can retire. And he goes, well, then what would I do? And he goes, well, I don't know. You get up in the morning and go for a fish and I don't know, have a, have a <laughs> siesta, you know, yeah, come back, right. hang out with the family or something. That's I don't good. know. Yeah. It's really good. I, I love yeah. that. I, I love like that. it too. I like that. Because yeah. it makes you think like, well, what am I doing this for? Yeah, that's right. You know, what's the end game? That's right. And we yeah. did talk, I think, in our last unrecorded, the <laughs> the unrecorded sessions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about, uh, you know, the fact that the music in the creative world in particular, it opens a lot of doors that would often be shut. So, hmm. you know, whilst I might be the poorest bass in the world, I am the guy who's in this, um, in this massive uh, suite with uh, welcome to the hotel, Mr. Johnson's, and uh, you know, occasionally that happens. Not, yeah, yeah. I wish it happened every time, but you know, one or two festivals. <laughs> These sort of things happen, and uh, oftentimes you'll be in, you'll be on on beautiful yachts mm. or in some uh, exotic location that someone else has paid for. Yeah, 
Uh, and that's always good. And let's not forget that when you're not on the yacht, you live in Santa Monica and work in your own studio well, and you have a wife and a kid. Yes, I mean, exactly. what else do you need? Well, this is right. Yeah, yeah, the family side of it is I'm very lucky in that sense, I yeah. know. And, and you know, it's to me it's a shame that uh, that New Zealand has become so expensive as well. Oh, because it's crazy. It's making it very difficult for artists. And yeah. what I hope will happen is... Um, the real estate collapse that's imminent there, I wish that would hurry up and happen yeah, because then they're going to figure out that the whole world's about to go online. Like, yeah. I don't even go down to the drugstore for mouthwash. I Amazon it. They deliver it. Right. I know that's lazy. Yeah. Right? But it's I, the it's, way it's going, though. That's well, it. I, if I want yeah. something, I know I can get the exact thing I want on Amazon and it'll be there tomorrow morning. Yeah. Outside my apartment. Absolutely. So that's coming. I know it's already... Uh, um, pretty well established in most parts of New Zealand but it's coming to a much greater degree everywhere yeah my hope is that that leaves a ton of retail space empty and I think it'll be less likely in New Zealand than here actually because they had apparently the most over retail space country in the world was the USA right but but the result of that will ultimately I'm hoping mean that it's going to be an awful lot of cheap crappy office space available yeah yeah, I think it's old, starting. Shitty buildings that no one else wants for their proper business. Yeah, but musicians will go. Yep, let's board up the front door and we'll put a studio on the back. Yeah, I think and it's starting. There are more studio. empty lots appearing along Dominion Road and those sorts of places. And you are hearing. A, I don't know how true it is, but you know the whole real estate thing. You're hearing more and more about houses that are just not getting rented out or not getting sold. Right. Just sit there. Yeah, and of course yeah. the problem being with the the house prices as stupid as they are is mm. that, that the rental's gone has gone up through the roof. And, oh, it's crazy. And um, yeah. This is the thing, you know. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, we need cheap rent. Yeah, it's and, essential. And we need we need more fair terms for tenants. Yes. Yeah, we need more protection for them. I've probably got ten minutes, brother. I think before I have to bust. I think we're pretty good. But mm. yeah, in some ways, a slightly more focused talk I think than, so, the yeah. Other, yeah. than the other day for a, for a show. Yes, yeah. I think um, the universe actually did us a favour. It may it's have. Well, it was a pleasure to come and hang out with you again, brother, and Absolutely. to see this nice little room. It's cool, eh? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Well, I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much to Greg Johnson for being on the show. And thank you to you guys for uh, tuning in again. Yep, absolutely. Loyal followers, thanks so much. For sure. And we've got an, uh, another amazing guest coming up next time, so stay tuned. Awesome. See you later. If you find what we're doing useful and you like this podcast, please do like, share and subscribe and give us a review on iTunes.